0: We're happy that you were here for part two of our series here at The Aid called Bless Your Heart. You never get so old of saying it. Let me ask you a pretty a raw question. And the polls of this question are pretty eye-opening. What would you do if you could do anything and get away with it? What would you do? Yes, yeah, so look, I'm scared of looking at the look at your guys' faces when I <laughs> what would you do if you could do anything? And get away with just by seeing your guys face forget the polls that are out there just seeing your guys faces it is super scary what's running for me to think what's running through your mind right now but do you know what this shows and do you know what the polls show of of, when people answer this question and they're super honest and they don't just give a nice churchy answer or just be politically correct or you know maybe they feel like they need to control their behavior when they're raw and real and they answer this question and just i can see that i can the, the polls are just seeing your guys faces to this it shows there's something in our heart. There's something in our heart. And it's only exposing what is deep inside of us when you really start thinking of this question. Maybe for a lot of you, you're probably like, man, I shouldn't be thinking that in church. But this is what is showing. There's something inside of us, inside of our heart, that is becoming exposed when we're kind of answering this question. What would you do if you could do anything and get away with it? And get this. Get this. When you start thinking, you're like, nah, 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 I can't be thinking that in church. I wouldn't really do that. But if I could get away with it, maybe. And get this. You know it's you're kind of like torn. And get this. We live in a culture where we say, just follow your heart. Do what your heart says. So what is it? If I go with my heart, man, I'm in trouble. And the people around me are in trouble. But then we hear people say, just follow it's what's in your heart. Just follow your heart. And this gets us into trouble. We looked last week 1,700 years ago, there was an early Christian uh, by the name of St. Gregory, and he said this. You must then wash away by a virtuous life, by living a virtue, uh, a life of virtue, the dirt which has clung to your heart like plaster, and then your divine beauty will once again shine forth. He said this approximately 300 years after the life of Jesus, that if we remove the plaster that has clung to our heart, the, the kind of the dirt that's sitting on our heart. If we remove that, this is where we can sign. We can see the divine beauty of our Creator within us. Quick history lesson. I mentioned this for those who are here as we celebrated the liturgy, um, and we and during the sermon during the liturgy, is that there is this beautiful union inside of us between our intellect and our noose and our soul. There's this beautiful intellect, and and early Christians used the the, the term. There is a psychosomatic union. In every human being, there's a psycho-somatic union. There's an intellect and body union between every human being. But through our, through our fall, through us saying, I got this, I don't need God, I know what I'm doing, I don't need to get advice. from For us, leading life in that, or doing life in that path, we have separated our intellect from our soul. And we started just to just pursue life just from an intellectual perspective. Well, I mean, God, I don't know about that. There's no proof of that. If he was really God, why didn't he make himself super clear? Old communion thing, I don't know about that. And we start approaching everything from an intellectual perspective altogether. But in reality, there has to be this beautiful union and balance between our soul and our mind pursuing the divine beauty of God. And and there is just just our, our pride, our, our our guilt, insecurity, lust. There's dirt that has stuck to our heart like plaster which has kind of corrupted the beautiful design of our original design of our heart. The original design of our heart is for it to be in full sync with our mind, pursuing God. This was this beautiful, uh, intimate bond that exists between humanity and divinity in the Garden of Eden. But then through our selfishness, we broke that. And now all of us deal with some type of dirt like, that's stuck to our heart like plaster. And it's, it, and it's prevented us from seeing the beauty of God working in our life. Maybe that's a complicated way, but Jesus made it 10 times more simpler when he spoke to some hotshot uh, religious leaders at the time. And he said this, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? And the people that heard Jesus say, they're probably like, uh, yeah, like we get that. Actually, we literally see that. We, we know how that works. So You don't need to explain anything further. Jesus says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these Defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. Nobody wakes up on any morning and say, you know what? I think today will be a pretty decent day you know, to cheat on my spouse. it is a pretty good day to kind of like give it back to my boss or my co Nobody wakes up saying that. But it begins with something subtle. It begins in something. If you watch any interview of some, of a criminal that, that's like recovered from a past mistake, They'll say, man, I've never thought in a million years I would see myself in this situation. Because it started something small, and it's coming from something in our heart. This is why. If you look at the news, if you look at high-profile people in our world, that they live an amazing life, and they have everything going great for them, and they make a dumb, crazy, stupid decision or mistake in life, and it destroys their life, and we think, man, I would never think that person would do that. But inside of all of us, there's something that's defiling or something sticking to our heart like plaster. For those who are dating or wanting to date, something to be aware of when you're dating someone. And maybe you see a glimpse of something you're, that you're, you're, your partner says or does. And they'd be like, man, I don't know where that came from. I didn't really mean to say that. Maybe that is a yellow flag. I don't want to oversimplify it, but that might be a yellow flag of what might be in their heart. Because it's easy. It's easy to put on. Like, I can, I can present myself in any way to you. I can present myself as being super spiritual and holy, and I got my life all together. I can put, present that to you. I know how to monitor my behavior. But through time, things will be exposed inside of you. The more you get to know me, the more you will see some of the flaw and the dirt that's within my heart. So when we're dating someone, maybe if, if I see some of that stuff, Maybe I shouldn't be like, ah, you know He said that was only, that that was one time. Or he didn't mean to say that. If I keep on saying that, that might be a small little yellow flag of what might be inside that person's heart. I don't need to pour this out to show you what's inside. I don't need to pour this out to show you what's inside. Like just by you seeing this, you can see what's inside. Just by me shaking it, and can rally it, you can have an idea of what's inside. But once I pour it out like this, I see what's coming out already. So this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Shaking it only exposes what is already inside of us. By the way, help yourself to this after. In the year 700 BC, an old Jewish ancient proverb by a king by the name of Solomon said this. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Yes, we can monitor our behavior. We can. We can. We can put on the right image to our partner, to our spouse, if we're dating, to our, whatever the case. May be, we can easily put that. But from the heart is who we are, and everything flows from that. So we have to get to the core of our heart to remove some of of of, of the toxins or or dirt that has stuck to our heart. In order for us, for our heart to be blessed again, for our heart to regain its divine design, for it to be pure and and be in sync with our intellect to pursue God, if we want to get back to that, we have to realize what is sticking to our heart. Blessing your hearts involves removing the toxins as well as keeping them out. Blessing our hearts involves removing the toxins as well as keeping them out. Today is a heavy topic, really. And it's hard for me to, to capture this in 20 minutes. But a dirt that is sticking to a lot of our hearts is guilt. And I'm not talking about false guilt. I'm not talking about false guilt like maybe you really didn't do something, but you feel like you got to take that upon you, or something you overcome, but you feel, you, it's still... You know, I'm, not, I'm not talking about false guilt. Put that aside. I'm talking about guilt. Let's go with this definition of guilt. The emotion associated with acknowledging we've done, something wrong the emotion associated with acknowledging we've done something wrong psychologically we all do this to some some degree we love to to draw a narrative for ourselves for us to cope with guilt well you know if my mom wasn't like that she didn't raise me like this or my dad was like this to me that's why I ended up like this or because I was neglected or I was abused or this happened to me well you know it was just my first year of college Well, I was in my 20s, and we love to draw a narrative to try to cope with the guilt. But denying it or being defined by it only empowers it. Denying something that I've done in the past that I acknowledge I did wrong, or being defined by saying this is who I am and I can't look past it, this is only empowering the guilt to grow and to even to be cemented on our heart. And over time, we end up starting to build a debt-debtor relationship where I feel like I owe someone something. Like I did this thing wrong to someone, so I feel like I owe them. And think about our language. We say, I-, I-, I owe her an apology. I owe him an apology. We feel like there is some sort of imbalance in a relationship, so I feel like I owe someone something for something that I did. And if you are a parent, maybe you cope with this. You feel guilty about something from your past. so You might over-parent to kind of to, to, to try to think that's a balance. Or you might be even more passive because something from your past, you deal with this guilt and you're pushing it on as a parent. We experience the, the, the guilt that all of us go through. We experience it as a weight and it weighs us down. Now many people know this, but for many of us, the guilt that's within us transfers over to the anger. Guilty people cannot connect the two. But if I look at the root of where my anger is coming from, most of the time it's connected to a guilt. And that guilt, which transfers over as anger, is not only affecting me, but it's toxic to those around me. Many of us think I'm either defined by it or I'm denying it. We're on a mission to either deny it. Ah, oh, that was only that was old, my first year of college. That was whatever. That's when I was young. That was whatever. That was the first relationship. That was the first whatever. And we push it that way. Or we become defined by it. But the beautiful thing about the one who came to give us the fullness of life, he gave us a third option. I want to read something from the Bible, but do not think, oh, here comes, I'm not not reading from the Bible. It is the Bible, but take a step for a second. I want you to read a, 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 a manuscript written by someone who dealt with guilt more than all of us in this room combined. Written by someone who had horrific mistakes that he has made in his life. Of him imprisoning and persecuting Christians, and then seeing their children, and look up in them in the face and say, I screwed up. I made a mistake. Someone who has dealt with this immense guilt, listen to what he says, and he goes by the name of Paul the apostle. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. He's reading writing this to the city of Rome. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, he's saying the Holy Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Here comes a man who has dealt with more guilt than all of us, has embraced who Jesus is. He's saying there's no condemnation for my past, for my mistakes, for the guilt that was on my shoulders. There's no condemnation to that because someone took that condemnation upon himself to set me free. This this law the, the spirit that's within me is liberating, it's free, it has given me new life. This has overcome this overcomes death and sin that used to define me, but that's not me anymore. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and the flesh. What is St. Paul saying? There's another option. It's not being defined by your past. It's not denying it and trying to run away from it. I can embrace it and say, I have a third option. Someone who took the guilt upon himself and decided to give me new life, to give me freedom, to, to, to remove me from that chain. Jesus says, you are guilty, yeah, but you're not condemned because of that. You're guilty, but you're not condemned. Jesus is saying, I, I when I see you, I don't see that. I don't see that thing for the past, that mistake. I don't see that. When I see you, I don't see that. St. Paul said this in a letter to the city of Rome in the year fifty eight A.D. He said that in the year fifty eight A.D. What were Christians doing? Between the year thirty like Jesus, let's say Jesus arose around the year thirty three. Let's not say he he did. Around the year 33 AD. What happened in the year 35, in year 38, in the year 42? Like, what was going on? As Christians would get together, probably in a room like this, and they would come together to break bread, they said these words in their prayers God instituted for us this great mystery of godliness. For being determined to give Himself. He was so determined to give himself up to death for life for me. This is what Christians were saying when they got together on a table like this to break bread. That God instituted for me a mystery of godliness. What, what on earth is a mystery of godliness? Mystery of God. Mystery of godliness? By the way, th- like th- these are ancient texts that predates, uh, th- th- this is within the first couple decades of Christianity. And actually, St. Paul would even quote this ancient prayer. He would write this in, a, in an epistle to a letter that he would write to his friend Timothy, and he would quote this. If you look in your Bible, in the 1st Timothy, I think, uh, I did not write it, I think 1st Timothy 3.16, where he where he writes a letter and he quotes this ancient prayer. He quotes this ancient prayer. He says this, he instituted for us this great mystery of God. You know what's the mystery of godliness? That this eternal being who has the entire universe in his hand, who has all the galaxies in his hand? Who is in control of all this? This this divine being, this eternal being, this uncreated being, in a mysterious way, became like me, put on skin like me, and he was the perfect embodiment of divine and human together. It was a perfect union and a psychosomatic union of his intellect and his soul pursuing his law And this mystery of godliness, this mystery of the divine. Says, I desire to abide in you. I desire to be one with you. I desire for you to partake of me. And the Eucharist, this eternal being who wants to set us free from guilt. So this mystery, I can't even comprehend it. It's a mystery of God. It's the mystery of the divine. That the mystery of the divine would put on skin, and and, and invite us for us to partake of Him. The mystery of God putting on skin. Skin invites us to abide in him. I want to leave with these three last notes. I know this sounds like a Debbie Downer talk about guilt. And I and, and it's so hard, it's so loaded, it's so hard to capture it in just 15-20 minutes. But if someone who, who was, was was being put down by guilt, he was able to be set free from his past. It says, I am free from the law, from the Spirit working within me. I'm not defined by that, and I don't have to d- deny it. Yes, I'm guilty, but I'm not condemned. I'm guilty, but I'm not condemned. My past does not define me. And this is what liberates him, to, for him to remove that dirt from his heart and begin a new life. Yes, I can look at the children of the, of the parents that I persecuted and killed because they were followers of Jesus. He says, yes, I made a mistake, and I am extremely sorry. I cannot deny it, and I'm not defined by that. I'm defined as being a man of God, a broken man of God that's pursuing more to life through Jesus. But that does not define me. My past does not define me. Three, three points I want to point. When we lean in toward the fullness of life, when we lean in toward the Son of God, you forfeit the right to condemn yourself. You forfeit the right. If you have any interest in pursuing Jesus, you forfeit the right to condemn yourself. You have given that up. You have no right to condemn yourself because you are not your own. You are not your own. If I embrace that I am not my own, then I have no right to condemn myself because someone already came to take condemnation away from me. Point number two, your guilt will remind you. Your guilt will remind you, but it does not define you. Your guilt will remind you, but it will not define you. Point number three, you forfeit the right to condemn others. you forfeit the right to condemn others. Because if you do, that would make you a hypocrite. you forfeit the right to condemn others. This is why, when Jesus was trying to teach his Jewish men, his friends, his disciples, how to pray, he says, I want you to say this model prayer, that to, Lord, forgive my sins just as I am forgiving others. Just as I'm wanting to reconnect with you and build this relationship, it is reliant and it is dependent on how I forgive Others, both are 100% connected. You can take this or leave this very last point: Is there something inside of you that's nudging you to take that first move of needing to forgive someone, to remove that guilt, for you to embrace, you know what, I'm not defined by this, and I can't deny it. I embrace it because I'm a new person. Because God's spirit is working within me. Someone took condemnation away. And his name is Jesus. But it does require for me to take that step toward that person. To find closure. My past will remind me. But it will not define me. Because someone came to set me free. And he is God incarnate. He is God in flesh. Who came to set me me free. Say I'm not defined by it. I cannot deny it, but I can say that I'm guilty, but I am not condemned because I have a new life in the Son of God. Let's stand up for prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. God, I know this is such a heavy topic and such a loaded thing that weighs down on a lot of our hearts, but help us to just embrace that we do not have to be defined by the thing of the past, the thing that we acknowledge that we did something wrong, but there is a third option altogether. We don't need to deny it. We do not to be defined by it, but you come to set us free, and nobody embody that better than Paul the apostle, who understood that, yeah, I made dumb mistakes, but I'm a new man. I'm a new person. Help us to embrace that, and for us to have clarity on that, and maybe for some of, for some of us to take that next step, to acknowledge, yeah, I am guilty, And I need to find closure, and maybe I need to take that step and to initiate that conversation, to initiate that closure. Because when I do, this is when my heart can be blessed. This is when I can find that perfect clarity of your beauty within. Through the prayers of St. Paul, the apostle, and all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but the us from the evil one in Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Sorry for the heavy topic, but I brought chocolate to kind of cheer. So. <laughs>